I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in this morning. I hope that you've enjoyed the worship. I will tell you it is very odd for us to be singing to two people. We are under the 10 people threshold, by the way, and trying to keep our social distancing. It's interesting having, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, we actually are, sorry, are right at 10. Uh, but uh, to have that sitting in a, a sanctuary that seats two and a quarter, it's uh, a little bit odd. Uh, but thankful for the folks who are working behind the scenes to make all this possible. So we really do appreciate that. Um, so we want to thank you for watching. And I've always wanted to say this, and I'm going to be Kevin to the punch because he'll say it next week. Please like and subscribe. <laughs> uh, our YouTube channel as well as our uh, Facebook page. Um, so if you, you will subscribe, then you'll get all the latest updates uh, when we put on a new video. Uh, but I do want to let people know that we're also working on some extra um, uh, or additional uh, digital uh, tools, if you will, uh, to be able to connect with small groups. We've uh, secured a, a user license for Zoom, uh, and we'll be working this week putting out a link for those who want to get together for a virtual Bible study where it's live and we'll all be able to see each other. Uh, so it can be done on a cell phone or a tablet or a computer, so it doesn't matter. Uh, as long as you have an internet connection and one of those smart devices, it will work. Um, so if you want to go to your app store and look up Zoom, Z-O-O-M, uh, and it's a digital meeting app, you can go ahead and do that and get that loaded on your phone so that way you have it. Uh, so we'll be more to that to come. Um, but uh, before we get started, see, I, the whole thing about this whole digital thing is, will I still be able to be me, right? Uh, I, we have streamed live before. Uh, we've had some people that were shut-ins that wanted the service, and we used to use a service called Ustream that's no longer available. Uh, when Chris was in his accident, we, we streamed live for him. So it's not that I'm not uh, uh, in tune to streaming live, but it's usually streamed live with a big audience. So this is what's really kind of, it's not having our normal folks here to, to smile and get that feedback from is what's kind of a little bit odd. But uh, can I still be me in the digital form? Will it still come across as being me. That's what I worry about in these kind of things. So I have a joke, right? Or I have a story to tell you. It's not a joke, it's a story uh, that I read about. And I just thought I would share this with you. And this is also uh, going out, especially to Mary Bowers, all right? So there was this woman who was at work one day and, uh, and they had a special get together at work and somebody brought in this special bean salad. And it was so, so good that she ate like three helpings of this bean salad. And she's like, I'm probably going to hate this later, but man, that was just so, so good. So she finally gets home from work and her husband gets home from work and he says, listen, honey, I have got a surprise for you, a special surprise. Matter of fact, I'm going to blindfold you and I'm going to, well, you can't, so that way you can't see. So he put a blindfold on, on his wife. Uh, then he leads her through the house to the dining room and tells her to sit down. And he says, oh, I forgot something. So you stay right here. Do not touch that blindfold. Do not touch it. Uh, I'll be back in just a second. You wait here, and I've got a great surprise for you. So she's there with a blindfold, and nobody's there, and she's just sitting by herself, and those beans started to work. And so she's like, oh, my goodness. These beans is killing me. And she's like, well, since nobody's around, and he's off doing getting whatever, so she just leans over a little bit and just lets one slip out. Didn't make a big noise, but she was so thankful, right? So she giggled to herself. She was <laughs> glad. But then all of a sudden the smell hit her. And she was like, it smelled 
like a fertilizer truck had run over a skunk in front of a garbage dump, right? Uh, it, it was, it was, it was, it was bad. Like it would like eat the paint off your car back, right? And she was like, "Oh my goodness, that is." She's waving her hand and she feels for the napkin on the table and she's waving the napkin and she's giggling to herself. I hope this clears up before he comes back. And so finally, he comes back and and uh, you know he walks in. Wow! Oh my goodness. And he said, well, honey, I got a great surprise for you. So he takes off the blindfold and in front of her is 12 of their closest friends <laughs> sitting around the dining room table as a surprise dinner. So just let that sit with you a little bit. All right. You're welcome, Mary. Hug day for us. Uh, so anyway, so we just got so many folks that uh, this, this is a unique time that we're living in. And so last week we started a sermon message that we plan to continue this week, um, just as if you were here. But the reason we did this is we live in a time, if, if you haven't noticed, everybody's going crazy. You can't find toilet paper for you know a 50-mile radius. And the hoarding that has occurred has just really shown the selfish heart of the average human, it seems to be. And that ought not be in the hearts and lives of believers. And so we talked about the fact that, that God's kingdom is not something that is coming later. God's kingdom is present here now because his kingdom lives in the hearts of all those who are committed to him and follow him and call him Lord. Yeah. And so understanding that his kingdom is here now and we need to be citizens of his kingdom first. Seek his righteousness first and then all those other things come along. It doesn't mean that we don't pay attention to the authorities of the land. Uh, we see writings in Romans and Peter and Titus and in other places that say that we need to be good citizens of this country. And even Jesus himself said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. But we're citizens of God's kingdom first. So we went to Matthew chapter 5. Because Matthew chapter 5 is, uh, starts off with the sermon that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and the reason we want to cover this is called the Beatitudes, right? It's the attitudes and, and how a believer should live so that people know that we are part of God's kingdom. Now, I, I made a, a joke last week that somebody asked me one time, he says, what are the Beatitudes? Uh, <laughs> I'm like, no, those are Beatitudes. I don't know whoever's put that heading in like that, but uh, so we want to go over the beatitudes, right? Now, I do want you to know this. We're going to, we're going to cover the, the, the first portion that, that we know is the beatitudes that starts it off are, you know, blessed are those that, right? But this is not an exhaustive list. In other words, this is not just the, the list. There are other things as well. And, and he extends on past the beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and go on through chapter 6. And we see that, that Jesus talks and really explains that what the heart and the life of a believer ought to be like. Now, I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter 5, start at verse 1, and just kind of just briefly touch on what we've talked about last week, because we made it down, uh, I believe, to uh, verse 6. Uh, and there were, but we're just going to go back and just have a, just a quick uh, rehash, if you will, of just uh, of what we covered last week. Now, what I love about chapter, I mean, verse 1 is this. Verse 1 says in chapter 5 of Matthew, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. 
When we hear Sermon on the Mount, I think of, you know, we get this picture of Jesus standing up on this rock, kind of like the rock where uh, Mufasa put out Simba. Y'all remember that? <laughs> uh, the, the, you know, I say remember, there is a few people here, by the way, but we're all social distancing apart. Um, remember when Mufasa, you know, oh, you know put out Simba uh, like this? I, I, I pictured Jesus on a big rock like that. Right. And everybody gathered there and Jesus starting off his sermon like, hear ye, hear ye or something. But that's not really what this is like at all. And I, and I think it's important to understand the setting. And I'm covering this again, maybe for some viewers that are viewing today that wasn't here last week. Jesus saw the crowds and then he went up on the mountain. So Jesus went up. He retreated up into the mountain a little bit. And it says there that he sat down. Jesus is not standing to living this, you know, uh, I think of Billy Graham and his great crusades and stuff. That's, that's not the picture at all. Jesus is sitting down and his disciples come up to him and he's talking intimately with his disciples. And so will we allow God's word this morning to talk intimately to us and really get to the heart of who we are? Then his verse 2 says, and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, by the way, we call this the sermon on the mount, but it's really the teaching on the mount. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit means spiritually bankrupt, right? So when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he says, blessed are those who really understand that we bring nothing to the table. I'm spiritually bankrupt. Without God, I'm not worth a plug nickel. Now, it doesn't mean as a human that I can't do good things. But as a human, without the interaction with Christ in my heart, I will always revert back to what's good for us. And we can't bargain with God. This verse also lets us know that we're spiritually, we're, 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 we're poor in spirit. We're spiritually bankrupt. I can't bargain with God. I have nothing to bargain with. But I must come to God understanding that I am in desperate need of a Savior. It says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we come to that conclusion that I need a savior, then how can we reject him that gave his life for us? So people ask all the time, why do you think people reject Jesus? Because they haven't come to the place where they realize they need him. Because anybody that finally comes to the conclusion that their heart is dirty before God and that they are spiritually bankrupt and they, and they have no ability to bargain or nothing to offer God or anyone else. Until they come to that place, they don't really see that they need Jesus. Those who come to Jesus are those that see they need him. And once you come to that place where you desperately see that you desperately need him, then we see him for who he is. Verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, all of these kind of interact with each other or interlinked, maybe. So blessed are those who mourn. This is not about mourning like, you know, when my mom passed away that I mourned her or her loss. That's not what this is about. It's when I realize that I'm spiritually bankrupt and then I realize in, in, in understanding that I'm spiritually bankrupt, I suddenly see how I have sinned against God. You ever heard a friend? Right? Have you ever, you ever done something you didn't mean to do? Like you, you didn't mean to hurt their feelings, but you did. And when you really love someone and you hurt their feelings, that is the worst feeling in the world. And, and that's what this means. It's blessed are those who, who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's when you come to that place and you realize that you've hurt God's feelings, that you've sinned against him, that you've done something you know, wrong against that him who is your best friend, it'll hurt your heart. 
You see, we as Christians, our heart ought to hurt when we sin against God. But he says here that when you realize that you're spiritually bankrupt and when you do sin and you realize it and then you're broke, your heart's broken because you realize you're hurt and that you did something wrong, you'll be comforted. Why? Because that's exactly why Jesus died for us. It's for those moments and for those sins, Jesus covered them with his blood that he shed on the cross of Calvary. I am comforted when I realize that I am broke before him. And when I, when I do something wrong, and my heart hurts, God does comfort me and says, Huff, in your worst moment, I love you the most. And it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is talking about gentleness and being mild-mannered. Citizens of God's kingdom ought to be meek. We ought to be gentle and kind-hearted. That's like the opposite of what we're seeing today, isn't it? Yep. Right? But, but Christians hadn't ought to be that way. I, I went through the drafter uh, of Burger King to, to uh, well, truth be told, they had that new sandwich, that fully loaded croissant. Have you seen that? It's got bacon, ham, and sausage. Like the whole pig is on there. You know what I'm saying? By the way, I know somebody that owns a pig, and the food gets scarce. I know exactly where I'm going on. Y'all know what I'm saying? We're going to have a pig roast at the Mayhew house. Just saying. Old Porky, he's done. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Charlie, Charlie the pig. Charlie, Charlie's done. Charlie will taste great. On a roll with some sweet baby rays on it. You know what I'm saying? All right, so um, I can be myself. Can I? I? I can be myself. This is all right. This is all right. right? Um, I don't have those glares of the people who don't like the message either. Wow, this is awful. Right? And, I'm, and nobody's sleeping yet. This is great. Right? So, <laughs> uh, anyways, I don't know how we got on Charlie. Oh, so I was going through Burger King drive through and uh, ordered me one of them loaded. Uh, I told Sal, listen, I know you're probably hungry. Let me go get something. I could get a sandwich at Burger King and give you the egg because she can't eat the other stuff right now because of her surgery. And that made it sound like I was doing something for Sal. I had a hankering for one of them fully loaded. She can have the egg off that thing. I want the ham, bacon, sausage, right? So anyway, uh, when I got there, they didn't take my card. Like, they wouldn't take it out of my hand. They, they put out this little bucket-looking thing and told me to drop my card in there. And, and the woman's face, I, I don't know how many mean people have been through that drive through that morning. But apparently some have. And she looked at me and she goes, I'm so sorry we got to do it this way. I really am. I, I just This is what our company's mandated. I said, sweetheart, I understand. I want to be safe. You want to be safe. we got to work together on this thing. And she's like, I wish other people saw it that way. And I thought, you know, there are those poor people are working. She's still coming. I mean, even though she was wearing rubber gloves and all that other stuff, my hand was all had been all over that card. They're still running a risk, even in doing what they're doing. They're running a risk. It's just like the people who are stocking the shelves and working the grocery stores for us and all that. Those people are taking a risk. And we ought to at least be gentle yes. toward them. Yes. Even when they don't have what we need. They can't help it. The charming man didn't show up with the toilet paper. Not their fault. And as citizens of this kingdom in this time right now, think about how much our light can shine. Think about how bright our light can shine if we are just gentle and kind-hearted. And she smiled. She goes, thank you so much for understanding. I'm like, listen, if you ain't careful, I'm going to give you my phone number. The next mean person comes through here, I'm going to tell you to call me. <laughs> give me the tag number. We're going to go around and 
get people to be kind-hearted. <laughs> so she got a little laugh out of that. She didn't know I was slightly serious, just slightly. Yeah, yeah exactly. So then uh, verse 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What does that mean? When we start hungering for the things of God, we know that it's the only thing that can quench our thirst. We have a thirst and a hunger for a connection that cannot be gotten through a physical, you know, I love my wife and my wife, you know, she is everything that I'm not. And I mean that in the best way, right? Uh, she is the best part of me. Her and I are together. The Bible says we become one. The best part of me is bound up in my wife. It, it really, uh, really is. But even at that, as much as I love my wife, as much as she loves me, and as much as we complete each other, we finish each other's sentences. And when she gets tongue-tied and can't think of what it is that she's trying to say, I say it for her, it's great, right? Uh, apparently, I'm her now. I'm, I'm her spokesperson or whatever you call it, a publicist. I'm Sal's publicist now. Um, oh, I touched my nose. You can't shake. Anyway. Um, I tell you, if somebody's coming, you don't want to shake their hand. Just do this. <coughs> how you doing? <coughs> yeah, how you doing? Right? Anyway. Um, we all have this hunger and this desire that can only be completed by God. That's it. He's the only thing that will satisfy us. And Jesus is saying here is when you, when you finally hunger and thirst for the right thing and you seek to be satisfied in the right thing, which he says to seek his kingdom first, when you, when you do that, you'll be satisfied. And there's not one of us out here that doesn't want to be satisfied. I can tell you that Sal and I are probably going through, we've gone through some tough days. We've buried both of our mothers together. They both, both of our mothers died in our home, in our house. We've went through that. We went through some dark days, but what we're going through now is probably the darkest that I think that I've ever, that I, I can remember. We've been through some tough stuff. But you know, even in that, we can lay, we lay in bed at night and we're like, you know, God is good. Yeah. And that we're closer than ever before. Yes. We're closer now than we ever have been. And there is a beauty of all this that we're going through. And so I get this verse because even in the tough times when we seek to be pleasing to God, we can still be satisfied even when everyone else around us is not. Amen. So let's go to verse 7. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now think about that. I mean, he goes on, when we think about the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us as we forgive our trespasses against us, right? And, and I think that this kind of goes in that same, that same thought pattern, right? Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Imagine this, uh, uh, just think for a moment uh, of looking at this, you know, it, it means that, you know, we want God to be merciful, for us, merciful to us, but our mercy that we extend to others need to be proportional, right? When we think about ratios, one to one, right? That's equal parts. I should... Take that same mercy that God has shown me and show that to everyone else. So it, something that had happened with a vehicle and, and, uh, and my son was, was upset about it. And he's like, I'm so sorry, dad, because it was kind of his fault. And I'm so sorry, dad. And, and I'm going to tell you, the dad that I used to be would have come down on him like a ton of bricks. But to be quite honest with you, about three weeks ago, I had done something very similar. And... People were merciful to me. My company was merciful to me. And so how can I not show mercy to my son? 
And he's like, I, you know, I, I can't believe you're not mad. I'm like, you know, the old me would have been. But when God has been so good to me and shown me so much mercy, how can I not extend that? And listen, the problem is, is we go out here and we want to give out mercy in proportion to what others around us are giving us. That's not what this verse says. You know, we should show mercy based on what God has shown us. Because I'll be honest with you, if I go out here and give the mercy that I've been given by the world, oh, it's smacked down 2020. You know what I'm saying? It's smacked down 2020. It's, the game is on. Because the fact is, is I, even in my job, I've, I've been trying to help people and they be nasty. And there's been times I've been like, you know, you called me for help, right? I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't What else do I do? You know, you try to help somebody and they get mad at you for trying to help. It happens, though. It happens on a daily basis. My team, my team, anybody that calls my team at work, they're all calling because something is wrong. Nobody ever calls us and says, Huff, the unit's running great. <laughs> Just wanted to let you know, you guys are awesome. Every time somebody calls us, something is either broke down or was broke down or is making noise like it is going to break down. And, and it's, that's all we hear day after day. And I will tell you that my guys love fixing stuff, so they love that part of their job. But what, what they get upset with and what I'm always coaching them through is how to deal with those who aren't. They aren't happy or they, they aren't um, thankful for the help that we're trying to give. And so we deal with it every day. But that ought not be a Christian. We show mercy not based on what, how people is treating me. I don't show you mercy because you're being nice to me. I show you mercy because God has shown me mercy. That's right. And he says that blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. I've already received mercy from God. But he says for me to be merciful and continue, and then I will continue to receive mercy. Verse 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see, citizens of God's kingdom need to have a heart that is pure, that doesn't seek to fulfill itself. That doesn't seek its own selfish, you know, desires. Having a pure heart before God is, is having a heart that says, God, I'm not going to seek the things for myself that I think that I want that are maybe better. I'm going to seek to live you every day and be your hands and feet to, to show mercy, to show grace and to know that whatever it is that you have for me is absolutely best. You ever had somebody do something good for you, but you're not for sure why? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? <coughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, it's like sometimes you wonder about the motives behind things. Like somebody's being awfully nice. Like when your kid comes up to you and says, Mom, I love you. What do you want? Right? I can remember doing that my mom. You look so good today. She'd be in a flannel dress and ain't combed her hair all day. Mom, you're so pretty. What do you want? Or what did you do? Right? <laughs> When we don't show grace and we don't show mercy, we don't show kindness on a daily basis, and then all of a sudden we show it, people be like, what do you want? That ought not be with us. Our motto shouldn't be called into question because if we have a pure heart before God, then grace and mercy is something that we extend every day. Kindness, gentleness is something that we do every day. This is how the citizens of God's kingdom are to act. This is the way our heart should be before him. But the fact is, is when the world treats you like garbage every day, and then all of a sudden they do something nice, you're like, there'll be something behind this. Something behind it. Something, something, ain't, something ain't right. You broke something, 
you did something or you want something, right? Or that person, like I could tell you during the air conditioning season, you, there's people you ain't heard from for two or three years and all of a sudden they call you, hey man, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, how are you? Hey, you still working for so-and-so? There it is. You broke down, ain't you? Right? I'm kind of glad I changed companies a year and a half ago or almost two years ago now. It'd be two years in May. Kind of glad because they'll call and ask if I was at that open. No, I'm not there anymore. I don't offer where I am now. Like, no, I don't work there anymore. Sorry. You know, good hearing from you, though. We know what that's like. And we know it's like to have people come to us and be like that. The citizens of God's kingdom ought to be much different. When we offer to do something nice for somebody, it ought to be just normal. Well, Chris is always doing something nice for me. Kevin's always being great to me. Terry's always showing me kindness. So to show me kindness today, I, 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 don't, I don't question the motives at all. Because it's what your daily routine is. It's how you are on a normal basis. That's living with a pure heart. If someone questions your motives, that means that you might want to go back and look. If they ask you why you're being so nice to me, go back and ask yourself, did they ask me that because I'm normally not nice? Or did they ask that just because they've had a lot of mean people in their life lately? Because it's, it may not be you at all. But the thing is, sometimes the world gets tired of being done wrong. And when someone tries to do something nice, they all of a sudden realize, well, what's in it for you? What's in it? And so if somebody questions your motive, the first thing you ought to do is ask yourself in your heart, are you questioning my motive because I haven't shown you kindness lately? Or are you questioning my motive because you've been hurt? If you're questioning my motive because you've been hurt lately, then you know what I'm going to do when someone asks me, why are you doing this? I'm going to give them even more kindness. Because I care and it's the right thing to do, but it sounds to me like you've been hurt recently. Or it sounds to me like you, ain't been, you haven't been hanging out with people that have been kind to you and showed you this. And so what can I do to convince you that my motives are pure? Be empathetic. Verse, uh, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The peacemaker. You know what I love about that is, uh, if I remember correctly, on the, the movie Tombstone, I'm pretty sure Wyatt Earp's gun that he grabs out of that case had peacemaker on. And I'm pretty sure there's a gun called the peacemaker. Isn't that kind of cool? Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemaker did me good again today. It'll be peaceful here without that person here anymore. Right? Creating peace is not wiping out all the people that aren't being peaceful. You can create peace that way, but it won't last very long. But blessed are the peacemakers. You know, there's a, a, a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, if I remember correctly. And one of the things that Stephen Covey talks about in that book is, is always looking for the win-win. Right? Always looking for the win-win. What that means is, is, you know, when you have a conflict or a situation, how can we resolve this in such a way that we both feel like we won? And, and I think about that sometimes when I think about blessed are the peacemakers, right? Because being a peacemaker is, you know, sometimes to have peace, sometimes to make peace with someone, you're just going to have to give a little. Blessed are the peacemakers. Paul actually chided the, or, you know, kind of got after, if you will, uh, or, or reprimanded the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians because they had gone to, uh, it says, you know, why would you go to law with one another, a believer against believer? In other words, somebody had had a, a disagreement and they couldn't work it out, and so they went to court. 
and and going to court, Paul says, you know, think about who's watching you. What would the unbeliever say when he sees that you can't even get along? Think about what that does. Now, why is it that you can't get along? Because you want your way and you're not willing to give up your way? You know what Paul says in that instance? He says, you're better off to be wronged than to go to law with each other. And I think that's something that, that even, even children inside the kingdom of God, I think sometimes we forget this. or I think sometimes it's very hard to do. But sometimes it's better to just be wrong. You know what? You got me. Whether you meant to do it or whether it was an accident. But you know what? To maintain peace, it is what it is. But listen, if you're going to do that, if you're going to allow yourself and say it's better to be wrong, you can't carry a grudge. Because carrying a grudge is not letting yourself be wrong. Carrying a grudge says that we're just going to postpone this. We're going to carry it over to another day. Paul said it had not to be that way. It's better to be wrong. It's better just to say, you know what? It happened. I love you. It's done. The Bible says that our, we're separated from our sins as far as the east is from the west. So in, in looking at that and, and how God forgives me and, and forgets all about it and doesn't keep it on a list, we ought to do the same. Be a peacemaker. In other words, look for a way to bring peace instead of division. Don't look at the things that you disagree on, but instead of come together on the things that you do agree on. I mean, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm never going to say that Chevy's the best vehicle out here. I can't do it, Greg. You was, Greg actually asked me, when you do this virtual stuff, I mean, are we, you're not going to be doing the Ford Chevy thing then, right? Or Dodge and Chevy. I mean, just, I don't see how that would work. I worked it in, Greg. Just for you. Greg's here, by the way, so this is great. So, uh, blessed are the peacemakers. So the thing is, is me and Greg may not agree upon cars, brands that we should drive. Or, let me put it, i got to rephrase that. Greg and I do not agree on the brand of cars that I drive and he pushes. (laughs) So, yeah, um, with a Dodge because you borrowed it from somebody. Uh, I'm going to tell you, Chevy's is so bad that I did have a Chevy once. I loaned it to Greg and it broke down on him. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, so if you need to borrow a car because yours is broke down, don't, buy, don't borrow a bow tie. But Greg and I may disagree on brands of vehicles. But man, there's so much that Greg and I agree on. We agree that I'm a great pastor. Don't we agree? We agree. Thank you. We agree that Mary's hair is out of control. (laughs) Got eight mans, man. We agree that we should love one another. We agree that Christ is king. We agree that he's king of kings and lord of lords. We agree that he... Shed his blood on Calvary so that we could be saved. So much we agree. We agree on how important our marriages are. We agree on, on, on putting God for There's so much that we agree on. So why would we why would we center in on brand of vehicles? By the way, we ought to apply that to politics and everything else. If you're a believer, then we gotta to come together on the things that we agree on. 
and give each other liberty to disagree on those things which are secondary and which don't have eternal value. Blessed are the peacemakers. It says, for they shall be called the sons of God. You know what? You can't go out here and cause division and think people are going to look at you and say, well, that must be a great Christian. If we aren't peacemakers, then that's not going to be the case. But I love that that habit that Stephen Covey talks about. Think win-win. You know, sometimes I got to think about, it. you know what? You and I may have a disagreement on something. We may It may be something that we do need to work through. It's something that we just can't, you know, we, we have to deal with it. If we're going to deal with it, then think about the other person as much as you think about yourself. You know, I, I, I want to somehow believe that I got, you know, the best I could out of the situation, but I want you to feel the same. Think win-win. Just don't think of what it's like for you to win. What, what does a win look like in the eyes of the other person? And seek to reason together until you can get to a place where both people walk away saying that this is good. Now let's pick up at verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, the simple fact is, is Christians or citizens of God's kingdom ought to be easy to spot. And we will often get a hard time for it. Right? Just being a Christian sometimes means we're marked by society. Especially in this age that we live in now. Because they say, well, are you a Christian? Yeah. Are you a conservative? Well, yeah. So that automatically, they automatically identify you as someone who uh, uh, doesn't love others, that you're judgmental, even sometimes racist. I mean, you think about all the things that are attributed to people who stand upon the word of God. Right? And, and you're marked that way. But Jesus says that, listen, you know, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you because they did it to the prophets before you. You know what that means? If we've been spotted and identified as a Christian and now given a hard time for that, we ought to rejoice in that. Why? Because it means that our light is shining correctly. Our light is shining. And so if people identify you and and they, they look at you and call you a Christian, they start to give you a hard time before it, then thank God. Because it means that they see you as someone who follows Christ and that you've been doing something before them that indicates that you are a part of the kingdom of God. And so we have to endure hardship. And sometimes we have to endure hardship for the sake of others. You see, the fact is, when somebody gives me a hard time because I'm a Christian, if I lash out at them for that, then what about the people who are out in the fray watching, thinking, you know, we're going to see if they're a Christian in a minute. A lot of people are watching you. Remember a song one time, says, walk through this world with me, Jesus, yeah. and hold to my hand every day for someone so dear may be watching, and I don't want to ever lead them astray. I love the words of that song. Matter of fact, it was Sister Donna Holmes used to sing that song all the time. And for someone so dear may be watching. So think about it. When you're being persecuted because you're a Christian, Don't look at the person who's persecuting you and get angry. Realize that first off, they're probably angry at you and giving you a hard time 
because maybe some Christian has hurt them. Maybe there's something behind that that gives them that, that, that when you indicate yourself or when it becomes apparent that you're a Christian, maybe there's something behind that. Maybe they've been hurt in a church or whatever. Maybe something else has happened. Or maybe simply they don't, maybe they don't believe in this because they've never been loved. You know, I've never been loved. So if this is God that loves me so much, why well, ain't I ever felt it? How come I've never felt that love? So people are watching. So we need to endure it with gladness. And we ought to think about it in a way that I'm being persecuted like others before me. And I am in good company. Now these are the Beatitudes that Jesus gave. Now I would encourage you to keep continue reading this chapter. Because he goes on in verses 13 to 15 and talks about us being salt and light. Verses 21 through 26, it said, we realize that anger leads to murder of all kinds. Right? Murder is not just literally taking somebody's life to where their heart quits beating. But you know, you can kill the spirit within a man or a woman. You can hurt their feelings so much that you just kill their spirit. You can murder people with your words. Mm-hmm. Verses 27 through 30 helps us understand that lust is the beginning and part of the act of sexual sin. Verses 31 through 32 helps us realize that God hates divorce. Verses 33 through 37 uh, helps us to, to realize that we need to live our lives in such a way that our yes means yes and no means no. If you tell somebody yes and they're like, really? I swear. Then that means maybe your yes hasn't always... When you said yes in the past, maybe you didn't mean yes or you didn't live up to yes. And so your word is a little questionable. We need to live in such a way that when I mean yes, they know I mean yes. When I say no, they know I mean no. They don't have to worry about us being truthful. Verses 38 through 42 helps us realize that we we don't retaliate. Citizens of God's kingdoms do not retaliate against others. Verses 43 through 48 um, helps us to to realize that that we need to love those who hate us and even those who wish us harm. Then it goes to chapter 6. Chapter 6 helps us understand we need to to give to the needy without broadcasting. We need to forgive as we've been forgiven. We need to fast before God and we need to lay our treasure up in heaven. Listen, this Sermon on the Mount is so much more than just the Beatitudes. So I encourage you to read the rest of the chapter and chapter 6. In a few Sundays, we'll kind of pick up from there. And then we're going to to give ourselves three things that we can do and that we need to be on our mind uh, every day as we live uh, this life of being a Christ follower. I hope that God has spoke to your heart this morning. I hope you realize, and, and, and maybe some of these even step on your toes a little bit like they do mine, but these are the things that we need to be doing. We live in a, a society right now that is scared. There is so much fear. Fear of maybe the running out of supply of things that we need. But yet we, we learn from the psalmist. He says, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. We can trust God. But there's a lot of people out here that don't have that trust. They don't, they, don't, they don't know. They don't know God. And so the fear is running rampant. And when people are scared and they don't think they have anyone they can trust, then the only one that they think about is themselves. The only one I can trust is me, myself, and I. 
And so then they do what? They go out and they hoard these supplies because, you know, they just don't have anybody else they can trust. They don't know that if I have something that they don't have, they don't have that trust that they could ask me and I would actually share it with them. But maybe that's how we start, folks. Maybe that's how we start in this day and age we live in. Maybe we spread the joy uh, and the love of God, maybe just through these little simple things that we can do, such as when we run into people and say, listen, I know this is a scary time. Ain't it? Yes, it is. Well, I can tell you right now, if you ever find yourself in need of something, please let me be the first call you make. Because if I have it, it'll be yours. But if I don't have it, I have a church family that I have access to. We will put the call out and we'll find somebody that's got some that they can give to you and get to you. Maybe we start there. We start sharing with people that, listen, I am not scared of what's ahead of us. But listen, not only that, not only am I not scared, but I'm going to tell you this right now. I'll help you. You may not have had anybody else in your life that you can trust, but know that this, that you can trust me. Now, I know me saying it ain't going to make you believe it. So I ask you to do this. Put me to the test. When you find yourself in need, please call me and let me let me prove to you how good God is. Maybe that's how we start evangelizing in this day. Maybe we help people understand that there are people here who help meet their needs. But be ready when that call comes. Don't take it lightly. Act swiftly so that we can prove to them. So I want to leave that with you today. How do you march forward? How do you be... These things help us understand what the attitudes and hearts should be like of those who are citizens of the kingdom of God. How do I put how do I put meat on that? How do I how do I live that every day? Through kindness, gentleness, keeping your heart pure, but find ways to find ways to connect with people. But not only connect, tell them you're trustworthy, and ask them to test you on it. And then maybe God will open that opportunity up to you to where you can help meet that need. And when you do, they'll suddenly realize that you're different. And what everybody's looking for in all this right now that's going on, they're just looking for a beacon of hope. And you might be the key to them getting that hope. Can we pray together? Father, we come before you, Lord. This is so different today than it's ever been. Lord, I can't help thinking of maybe the opportunities that over the course of my life when church was open and I didn't go. And now that we, now that we have to quarantine, Lord, this is, this is so much different. It makes me look back to each and every moment I ever stayed home. Uh, and I think about it with regret. But Lord, we know that this is the time. Lord, we know that that is under the blood and I don't have to worry about those things and you're not angry at me about it. Uh, but Lord, we, we're living in, a, in an age, Lord, where everyone is scared. And things are difficult. And we find all of ourselves, we find ourselves, you know, taking steps every day now that are new steps, steps that we've never thought we'd ever have to take. And, and it's just, Lord, it's just, it's a new way of, it's a new normal. So God, we just ask you, Lord, today to, to help us. Lord, to, Lord, to, to live you in this day. Lord, to, to, to be kind and gentle when so many people out here aren't. Father, we just help you, Lord, that you guide us and give us the strength. Lord, we think about all of the workers, Lord, and many people, uh, Lord, have been laid off or their offices have shut down. And Father, we pray for them, Lord. We know that it must be a huge financial burden. 
Lord, there's a huge financial burden, not only on the workers, but also the companies, uh, Lord, that employ them. Lord, everybody's being affected by this. And so, Father, we pray for those who are being financially affected, but I also pray for the folks that are at work, the, the health care workers, the, the people in the grocery stores, the people who provide essential services that just can't stop because there's a scare. Father, I pray for their safety. Father, I pray for their spirit that they'll remain encouraged. Father, I pray that you put wonderful people in their path that will just help them along the way and just give them a little bit of encouragement today. Father, I pray that you strengthen us, Lord, that we can be your hands and feet in this perilous time that we're living in. Lord, we love you. And Father, we pray for our leaders. Father, we pray that you help them, Lord, and guide them uh, to use wisdom. Father, we pray, Lord, that you grant them and give them the wisdom that they need to make decisions, Lord, that, uh, that we so desperately need them to make. Uh, Lord, so I pray that you, uh, that you lead them and that you help them, uh, Lord, as they make these tough calls. And, Lord, we just ask you to be with it, each, Lord, and every person. Lord, for those who don't know you, most of all, Father, I pray that they see you through this time. I pray that Christians everywhere will square their shoulders back, uh, Lord, and just... Lord, put our best foot forward to live you in this life, in this time that we're in, so that others may see you, that you may be glorified, Lord, and their hearts may be changed before you. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things, Lord, in the name of your beautiful Son, Jesus. Amen.